I think a challenge is if you're direct to consumer and you've got one price, if you're not moving those vehicles, you have to drop that price across the board. You might not need to have dropped it in California, right? Oh, right. That is very interesting. But you maybe needed to drop it in Wisconsin because you know the battery range was not getting what it did in you know in the winter in California. So. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Phil Oriani is CEO at Shift Digital, one of the leading digital marketing tech companies for dealerships and car manufacturers. In this conversation, we discussed how Shift Digital built an app store for 16,000 dealers and car manufacturers, the pitfalls of a direct-to-consumer car sales model, enabling innovation in the car business, the current state of AI and dealership tech, and much more. But before we get into the show, this episode is brought to you by Cars Commerce, the platform to simplify everything about buying and selling cars, including the quote-unquote follow-up. Let me explain. Dealers, fast and effective follow-up is crucial for converting leads into customers. But here's the problem. 40% of shoppers report that they are not getting timely or helpful responses from dealerships. This is a huge problem because your own team could be leaving four out of every 10 sales opportunities on the table. Cars Commerce makes it simple to measure and improve your follow-up performance. A Cars.com experience report tracks the percentage of leads your team is responding to and how customers rate those responses. While Dealer Inspire's retailing technology enables your team to quickly text follow-ups with personalized financing options to make the most out of every opportunity. To learn more about how you can measure and improve your team's follow-up performance, go to carscommerce.inc experience or click the link in the show notes below. This episode is also brought to you by AutoFi. Most digital retail platforms are limited in their capabilities and fall short on empowering dealers to convert shoppers into buyers while protecting profitability. AutoFi delivers done deals by empowering your dealership with the technology to land customers on the right vehicle and deal. From payment configuration, F&I product selection, credit and real-time lender offers plus the backend selling tools to help close the deal. This accelerates the deal no matter where the customer is, on the dealer's website, over the phone, or in the showroom, and translates to a faster sale with better customer experience and higher profits. In fact, the most engaged dealers on Autofy see $411 more backend PVR versus non-Autofy deals. Go to autofy.com slash CDG to learn more or click the link in the show notes below. That's autofy.com slash CDG and start working with done deals today. Yeah, I think a lot of people in this industry have a story about, you know, how they fell in love with the car business. And and mine's probably not too dissimilar from a lot of them. I was on a merry-go-round of of living in lots of different places around the country. My dad was in elevator construction and merry-go-round stopped in Dearborn, Michigan, of all places. We lived about a mile away from the Ford Research and Development Center. And back then, I used to go and look and see these cars that were camouflaged, or even back to climb the fence and hop in and go check out, you know, what was coming. And I was always just so enamored by they'd have cars that they bought from other manufacturers. They were ripping apart, and you'd see things that you know you just never saw before. That was back in the days when like spy shots were a really big thing. What's a spy shot? So, so it used to be, you know, before OEMs would launch, you know, cars, they would be developing these cars and, and that's before they would even really camouflage. Them. So there was a, you know, there were people that would go take a picture and be like, oh, that's the next Mustang that's coming out. And then, you know, that would find its way into car and driver different magazines back then. 
I, I, I've never heard that term. But then again, you know, I, I was never too close to the OEM side, so I'm not too surprised, but that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, so spy shots were a big thing. So being in Dearborn, like everybody worked for Ford Motor Company in some sort of fashion, supplier or whatnot. And I really took a liking to the dealership side of the business. We had local dealership, Village Ford, great operating store, obviously built-in customer base, right? Being in Dearborn. And like age 15, I got my first job as a porter, that taking snow off cars, washing cars, prepping cars, and just, you know, watching how everybody kind of worked together, you know, ultimately to service a customer that was walking in the front door and everything that happened behind the scenes. Just fell in love with the, the experience, the whole, you know, idea of a new car back then, you know, going to the North American Auto Show with my dad and looking at the new vehicles that were out there. It was just something that that I was enamored with. And I followed that to Northwood University, right? And if you don't know about Northwood, Northwood is where a lot of car dealers, you know, send their their kids, right, to go learn about the business. And I didn't have that background, right? My father, like I said, was in construction. And for me, it was again, just, you know, going down that journey, I want to be a car dealer. And I'd spend the summers, fly down to Marietta, Georgia. I do internships like Sutherland Automotive Group, Sutherland Nissan. And this is like 98, 99. And I started to see what was happening with digital. And it was still super early. I remember I had to log customers, right? Like take a piece of paper, you know, write down the customer that came in. And if you know eLead, right? Obviously the big CRM tool bought by CDK. Back then we would fax the list of customers to eLead and they would send the customers cookies. Like eLead would bake cookies and send them to the customers. Well, like, like physical cookies, like, not the digital like ones. Physical cookies, right? And the guy that was handling leads back then was somebody that they just put the very back of the dealership and, you know, I'd go spend time with them and just realize that, that was a gold mine, right? Everybody else is waiting for ups to come in. And here's this guy in the back room that's just literally got customers coming in on the phone with them and was selling more cars than anybody else. So that was, that was just a great kind of entry into the business that kind of led me to where I am today. So, so tell us more about your Ford Direct. You went to Shift Digital, where you're at now. You've, as far as I could tell, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but you've worked your, your way up to the CEO position, right? You weren't a founder by the traditional meaning of the word. And so kind of give us that story. Why did you go to Shift Digital? And what has it been like for you kind of coming up in a company? Yeah, the journey for me starts at Ford Direct. I was, you know, one of the first employees at Ford Direct. You know, I was brought in entry level doing dealer support back then. You know, my initial responsibilities were, you know, trying to sell third party lead programs to dealers, right? If you go back to the early 2000s, right, dealers didn't really participate heavily in digital, they relied on third parties, right? Not just the traditional, you know, auto traders of the world, but back then there was, Greenlight.com and Car Order, right? A lot of these companies were trying to sell cars directly to consumers, or at least have the perception of that, but you couldn't sell a car directly to consumer. Ultimately, it had to go through you know, the franchise dealer network. And what Ford did, which was, you know, going back then, I think extremely innovative at the time, you know, they got with the dealers and the dealers really came to them and said, Why are you Ford trying to partner with all these different third parties? 
to sell cars. You know, they saw that as a threat. You know, you're taking the dealer, the, the relationship that the customer has, you know, they think they bought a car from carorder.com, not Village Ford. And we lose a lot of our value that we have on building that relationship for service and support. And so Ford dealers came and said, stop partnering with them, partner with us. And that was the impetus of the creation of Ford Direct, which was a dealer manufacturer partnership. So a lot of what I learned when we kind of you know, had the opportunity to go over to start shift digital was, you know, based on if you do what, what's right by the dealership in the digital space, it's really going to benefit the manufacturer ultimately. And such a competitive, but ex explain to us what is, what is Ford direct for anyone that doesn't understand, like what does Ford direct actually do? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's been a while since I've been around Ford direct. I've been at shift for 15 years, but Ford direct was, um, trying to take a very large network of car dealers, right. And have them move in a similar direction, right. Very, very hard to do, make them be excellent in digital. Right. Digital was such a competitive advantage early on as traditional media dollars were starting to shift and customers were doing all their research online that the dealers, right, when they're so diverse, you know, I think it really needed help on what are best practices, what should I be doing, where should I be focusing my dollars, right? You know, how do I capture customers? All the way to great, I got a lead that came through. Now, what do I do? Right. The obvious is, well, of course, you respond to the lead, but there's so many nuances in just doing that. You know, we've got so much data we have access to now that, you know, dealers have higher close rates that respond between five and 15 minutes, right? If you respond under five minutes, your close rate's lower. You know, why is that? It's almost as if people want to work with someone that's responsive. Yeah, they want to work with somebody that's responsive, but they also want somebody that takes the time to understand what they're asking for and, and have a very, you know, well thought response. So now tell us what does shift digital do, right? Compare that, I guess, to Ford direct and your evolution. What do you do at shift digital and explain this to me in like the simplest way possible? Sure. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll start by where the idea came from manufacturers in the two thousands. One, it started to realize like wow, our dealer networks get a lot of business websites, right, leads that are generated, et cetera. And we want to make sure that our customers are having the best experience. And it was a very diverse experience across every lead that came in, every individual dealer website. But they would, they would typically force the dealers to use a single tool. All four dealers back then had to use a tool called SalesPoint as their CRM, right? They had one website that they all had to use. And dealers, as entrepreneurs, are extremely competitive. They want the best tool that's in the market. So where our light bulb came on is we said dealers are taking leads that go into sales point and they're manually entering them into e-lead or dealer socket, right? Whatever tool they're using and they're working the customer there. Can we get the manufacturer uh, the transparency of data and give dealers choice on the best in market tools for them? That was where the light bulb really, you know, started for, for the idea of shift is if this can be applied across all technology providers that, you know, a dealer utilizes, then you now get this marketplace of dealer choice with technology tools that are best in market, best in class. And the manufacturer gets access to data to make their media more efficient that they're buying to understand 
the customer journey, and ultimately it creates a better customer experience. So that idea came when Chrysler back in 2008, they were bought by Cerberus and they were trying to do things different, right? I don't know if you know the history of Chrysler, but you know, they had a lot of different owners over the years, right? Going back to, you know, Daimler, Cerberus, and the wheel continued its turn, ultimately led to great partnership that they have in creating Stellantis. So back then, th th they were struggling, right? The product wasn't necessarily kind of close to where it is today, and they needed a competitive advantage. So we came up with the idea, and our founder, Steve St. Andre, who's a amazing visionary in the space, great mentor of mine, was like, let's do for you what we think the entire industry needs and create technology vendors that are best in class and offer that to your dealer network. And five months later, they filed for bankruptcy, right? So as we started the company, myself and two other guys came over to join Steve, our only client. Wait, just so, yeah. You're saying Chrysler, Chrysler, Chrysler filed, for bankruptcy. filed for bankruptcy, right? So the thing yeah. that you and know, they were they were your only client. They were the only client. So the thing that you don't think about when you know you're you're looking to do something new in your career is that you know an automotive manufacturer is going to go bankrupt, and we didn't know what that meant for us, right? But what we found is that we were the shining light in that building. Right. We had a great value proposition. And as they kind of worked through bankruptcy, Chrysler brought us along through that process and really held us up as something that is you know, going to be a part of the new co, right? Because of the value that, that you know, we were creating with the dealers. Just to recap that very, very simply, right? I'm a dealer. I don't know what website provider, who's going to create my website, who's going to do, who's going to be my CRM, right? And I'm a four dealer in this sense or whatever, a GM dealer. You are the technological expert. That's the middleman, right? Or you're in the in between the OEM, the car manufacturer and the dealer. And you're you have the job of essentially saying, hey, let me help you out. That is what I specialize in. Let me go find what is the best website solution for GM or four dealers. And once I find that, you know, assuming that the car manufacturer, Ford or GM or whoever approves it you can then use this approved vendor at your dealership. Yeah, think about it as middleware, right? I think it's the better term. Like we build enterprise software that measures every click, every engagement, every lead, uh, every dealer engagement to take all this data in and help the dealer understand what's the best technology provider for them, right? Choice was the main impetus for this. If you just have one provider, as an OEM, you're essentially granting them a monopoly. And what happens in monopoly? Cost tends to go up, support goes down. If you create, the way we framed it up is a customized app store for dealers that's customized by every manufacturer on um, which dealer website providers that they choose to have in, which digital retailing providers, chat tools, trade-in tools, right? The marketplace now is technologically enhanced, meaning, we are measuring everything independently. We're taking the manufacturer data, build data, incentive data, and integrating it into those technology providers so that they can provide the best experience to the dealer and then ultimately the customer. And then we're independently measuring them for two ways, right? One is who is best in class for what a dealership wants. 
And number two is to provide that data kind of blindly back to the technology partners that we have that say, look, your mobile experience is lacking versus these others that are out there. This is something your company should focus on. So the value proposition for us has to be A, for the dealer and value that we're providing of getting them best in class integrated technology providers, the value for the brand, which is now aggregating all of this data to make them more efficient and then understand where they need to spend resources to help dealers that maybe are underperforming improve, but also importantly, the value proposition for this app store, right? All the technology providers that are in here to help their business improve, understand maybe where they need to innovate, maybe where they need to focus time on, and ultimately take some take some things off of their plate, like tier one support, right? That can overwhelm a company. So people ask me all the time, you know, like dealers spend billions of dollars a year on marketing, right? It's just, you watch traditional television, YouTube. I mean, you'll see car commercial after car commercial. I think people are always wondering, you know, how does that actually work behind the scenes? Can you explain to us, you know, just tier one, tier two, tier three advertising and automotive, what does that even mean and how it sort of, breaks down? Yeah, I'd say it's definitely evolved, right? Tier one advertising is where the brand generates, you know, advertising dollars and then spends that to drive traffic to their brand website. Many, many different ways. They typically have big tier one agencies, right? The brand being the car, the car manufacturer, car manufacturer, right? Tier two is a group of dealers that get together in a market and maybe an individual dealer can't afford to buy a mass amount of TV that's going to make a difference. So the the group gets together, you know, your your Ford Metro Detroit dealers or, you know, there's, there's so many different manufacturers that have a tier two association to pool dollars together. And then tier three is the individual dealer. I think the the majority of innovation happens at tier three right? Because they're targeting lower funnel. And we've seen an evolution that where the dealers used to sit back and say, I'm just going to go buy leads, right? I'm going to buy leads from, you know, AutoWeb, AutoBytel, who's, you know, now gone to the wayside. And I'm going to work these leads. Where we saw dealers should be spending their money is on attracting their own customers, right? Why outsource to somebody that's going to say, you should buy a car from AutoWeb and I'm going to get you a quote and I'm going to shotgun that to two or three or four dealers. It doesn't create the best consumer experience. As the dealer, you own the inventory, you set the pricing, right? You're best to, to sell that customer a car. So tier three has evolved tremendously. And I think one thing that we were able to do through accessing all this data was where are the best ways to spend your dollars? right? What are the best mediums to do? And that's evolved. When we started this, our very first certified program, get access to all the co-op funds, where dealers are spending their money. And 10 years ago, when we launched our first digital advertising program, 80% of the dollars were being spent in display ads, right? Okay. There was a little known trick in display that the dealer would feel really good because they'd go to their DetroitNews.com and you know they were actually being retargeted and they'd see their ad on the front page of DetroitNews.com. What they didn't necessarily realize is that not everybody that goes to DetroitNews.com is seeing that ad, right? So a lot of money was spent there, but when you started looking at the results, there were way better areas to spend your money, namely search, 
you know, 10 years ago. So using all of this collective data to help dealers make better decisions on where to spend that next dollar was something that uh, I think we helped bring to the marketplace to move dealers away from inefficient digital spend, make them less reliant on you know, third-party lead generators and, and start to own their own market. I have to ask you a question. I mean, I, I don't think it's a, it's a shocker to you if I tell you I love marketing. I just, or, or to be more specific, I love the idea of finding a creative message that gets attention right from a consumer and and creates an action like i just love that entire thing it's super to me that's like my creativity and i'm always look i'm i just like to observe that here's my question for you do those you know traditional oem commercials actually work and you know exactly what i'm talking about you know na na 99 and 99 and well not 99 let's say 999 nowadays with inflation <laughs> but you know do those actually work or is this just like a we're stuck in this habitual kind of bureaucratic OEM, like let's just spend, spend, spend on just brand advertising on the Super Bowl. What's your thoughts there as an insider? I, I think everything evolves and I'll be the first to say that I'm not an expert on traditional big tier one you know, media dollars that are spent. I do think there's a halo effect that can be created with the right marketing of a message that, you know, that's out there that trickles down. And that's one of the hard things about this industry is how do you attribute a Super Bowl commercial to actual leads and sales, right? Because you'll have a really big spike. I mean, one of the realities is at any given time, you know, it's high single digit percentage of people are in market to buy a car. So obviously you're not spending the money on a Super Bowl commercial just to try to get those people to buy your car right then and there. It's something bigger and, and broader than that. I think that post COVID, you know, things changed a lot in the car business, right? Number one, we saw an industry that went from having to create a ton of demand to sell the inventory they had, right? 90 day supply, whatever the numbers were back then, all the way down to single digits. And, you know, I think that there was a lot of thoughts that this was going to be sustainable, right? That just in time inventory and, you know, it brought up a lot of conversations around, you know, direct to sale. Is that a better way to engage with a customer in a franchise model? And it didn't take long that manufacturing and supply chain ramped up. And then all of a sudden we have, you know, this, this demand generation problem again, right? It's a very complicated ecosystem. So well, I'm not qualified to say, does that Super Bowl commercial work for this big ethereal brand you know, building? I'm not qualified there. From a dollar spent to how many cars did I sell the next week, that math typically isn't going to work, but I don't think that's the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You mentioned tier three, right? Being the, the marketing that dealers actually do themselves, being just the most creative. I, I think it's creative or effective or used one there's a word used efficient efficient sure. what do you typically see right when it comes to just dealers advertising and you know delivering like a great customer experience what do you typically see or what have you seen recently that maybe stuck out to you like wow this is unique this is novel or just you know this works super well in today's environment where inventory is starting to rebound for most manufacturers you know albeit rates are higher which is you know has put a bit of a you know, it's hindered sales in, in a way. But what, what are you seeing when it comes to just 
unique marketing tactics that dealers are using on tier three? You know, whenever I'm, I'm talking to dealers, I think that, you know, what definitely doesn't get presented by advertising agencies, whatnot, is all the things you can do for free that is going to make a big, big difference. And that starts with what is consumer facing for you, your website, right? I think we, we learned a lot from Tesla and Carvana. And I'd point even more toward Carvana of really being the pioneer in merchandising the piece of inventory, right? These great 360 shots with hotspots that built trust with the customer on, oh, there is a ding here or a dent there, right? That, that how important that was. Merchandising the inventory, creating content locally, right? You could have a post on X and if you only posted you know, once every two months, it wouldn't be that interesting. Same thing for a dealer website. If you're just leaving it static and you're not writing something about you as a dealership and the difference you make, I mean, dealers are, I think, the most phenomenal entrepreneurs in almost any industry. They're not just franchisees, right? Their lifeblood is this dealership. And they're some of the most creative people in the world. Putting the time and effort into exuding that personal relationship you have with the community, right? Dealers are so active in their community. You need to get take credit for that in this consumer experience, right? You're not just selling this commodity of a car. You're selling what you are, you know, in the community. So there's so many free or low cost things that a dealer can do before they even decide, decide to spend about that, you know, spend that first dollar. I think it's important to understand data. I've gone to, you know, some different 20 groups and you kind of see the variety of reports that come in that they, you know, go all the way from a spreadsheet to things written down on paper to more advanced and actually having a dashboard. I think understanding the traffic that you're getting, where it's coming from, and ultimately how it's performing. You don't have to measure everything down to a sale. I mean, that's obviously the best if you can do that. But we see like you're, you're in the business of selling new CPO and used cars. Who's going to those pages, right? A vehicle detail page is probably one of the most important indicators of what your demand truly is. And the variability of how people engage with the VDP is tremendous. If you have a stock image on there, guess what? Somebody's not going to go through a digital retailing process and put down a deposit and buy that car, you know, unless it's something that's, you know, super, super popular and they know about. But for the average car, they want to see the car. They want it to be a VIN specific uh, experience. They want to see that's the actual car. If it's in transit, this is what's coming. So that experience that the dealer can create, I think, is the most important before you invest that first dollar. All else being equal, do dealers have the tools to compete with the likes of Carvana from a technological perspective? What's your opinion on that? Absolutely. I take it back just to this community of dealer entrepreneurs and this this amazing vendor network that is in automotive. And, and to be clear, I'm not referring to like, you know, competing on an inventory, finance, none of that. Strictly technological. All the technology that it exists in Carvana is available to the dealer community today, right? The inventory merchandising tools, right? The ability to um, really express what that that piece of inventory is, the financing, the engagement with the customer in a digital retailing experience. Do I want to have it delivered to my house? Do I want to you know, walk into the dealership and buy it? Integration with all the after sales and finance tools. It's an extremely complicated 
technological process, but the vendor community and putting it all together, right? And that's part of what Shift is, right? In these manufacturer, dealer, partnered app stores that we created, right? Our goal is to make sure all the vendors are working together and talking together, that the data is being shared. And I think that's one of our biggest value propositions because you'll have some vendors that want to have their own ecosystem. Like the only way you can get this, you know, really great experience is if you use all of my tools. But again, with looking at all the data, what we've learned is the best website provider isn't necessarily the best chat tool provider, isn't necessarily the best digital retailing provider, and probably doesn't build the best CRM. A dealer wants the best of every category. And that constantly changes. So it's getting all of the data to work together. What do you think about this trend of deleting automotive software and services companies integrating lots of different software under you know one umbrella, right? CDK, Cars, Commerce, Cox. I, I am an investor in Cars Commerce. I, I really believe in Alex's vision and what the team over there is building for, for, for the industry and frankly, their tools. But I'm curious to know how you think about that, putting everything together under one umbrella with, I, as I alluded to, right, creating an experience that's connected, that's ultimately, it's easier for people to buy a car, it's easier for a dealer to sell a car. Yeah, there's, What's your thoughts? There's, there's two ways to do it, right? There is the way of saying that we're going to continue to invest in this umbrella and we want the value of that suite to be the best for the dealership, right? And two ways to do it. You can forcefully push that down, that all of these integrations are only going to happen if you check all the boxes of me as this big technology firm. Or you can say, we're going to continue to invest and build and buy companies to uh, have this vision of, you know, a suite of products. And I do think if there's something better out there for the dealership that will integrate, right? Yeah, we'll connect with that tool. It should make them better because if dealers are saying that, hey, you know, and Alex, I've known for, you know, over 20 years, and I think he's built a phenomenal vision of having this integrated stack. It makes you better if you find tools that you've invested in that maybe aren't best in class that dealers are selecting to use. Okay, we need to get better in this, this specific area. So I think that dealers always want the best in class for every product that they buy. And if that connected network can ultimately reach that vision, which a lot of big companies have been working and spent a lot of money for a really long time on this utopian vision, if that can eventually get there, I think it'll be what's best for the dealer. Right now, I think everybody has a lot of work to do. And I think more open source is the best way to create the best products for a dealer. You're, first of all, you're clearly the expert here, to be clear. I agree in concept. The one thing where I partially disagree is you look at a company that put everything together like Carvana, right? I use that as an example because they do have a great mousetrap. And I think that even if certain elements are maybe subpar to another service that's out there in the market, I think the, the fact of having everything integrated, the net benefit of that is, is so substantial that I would almost be willing to live with a chat tool that's a, you know not as great or whatever, because I know everything was done for me kind of seamlessly. I didn't have to click through so many different tools, websites and whatnot, but I totally agree with you. It needs to, and if you don't have such a substantial increase in the, in the customer experience of having everything be together, then 
it, the trade-off might not be worth it. Yeah, it's it's definitely a utopian vision that on paper makes a lot of sense. And even if you know Cox and Cars.com, you know, can't get to that perfect utopia, I still think what they're building for dealers that see value in it adds a lot of you know value on you know having everything in a single stack and, and, and being integrated. It's really tough to do when you're a dealer group and you've got multiple franchises and you've got different ways of doing business. You know, some dealer groups are going to more centralized, you know, mandated tools across the board. Other dealer groups still say, look, my GM is going to be the best for this specific manufacturer to know which tools are working best. So there's a lot of components at play that make, you know, single stack tech service for a dealership. Very hard to kind of achieve that, that utopia. I think my favorite, my favorite question to always ask is, who is your customer and how do you make money? Yeah. So, you know, our customer is three, the three-legged stool, the dealer, the manufacturer, and the technology vendor marketplace, right? And we have to have, and we do have a value proposition for each one of those, right? We make money because we do something that's very difficult. Right. Building enterprise software is very boring. It's not some flashy consumer facing widget that, you know, gets all the attention. It is having thousands of integrations with manufacturers, these technology vendors, dealers, etc. that there's nothing real sexy about it until you start to realize what it can do. And bringing all this data together can make that whole technology vendor marketplace that ultimately services the dealership better and more efficient. And we're seeing that now with kind of our shift 2.0 first party data engine, where we're able to take customers that are shopping on brand website, right? That a dealership would never have access to and be able to create an audience and push that to that dealer in their local market, right? So if somebody goes to, you know, brandwebsite.com as a dealer, I don't, I don't know that, but they're in my market and they're shopping for a vehicle that I have in inventory using all this data and these these connections together you can you can add value to the dealership in something they they could never get from an individual vendor so that's that's the goal is all three create value propositions for and yeah the way we make money is by providing value i mean if you know automotive we go through very rigorous automotive purchasing protocol where it's typically you know, triple bid and, and, you know, we have to, you know, compete on value, our innovation, constant innovation, nothing's ever stagnant and, you know, show that we're the best in the industry. And it's, it's worked so far. We've got 80% of the automotive industry as, as clients. And, you know, we work directly or indirectly with about 16,000 franchise dealers today. It's incredible. It seems to me like you are a digital auction I, I could say not, you're not actually an auction, but it's incredible how you have sort of centralized, just trusted source, able to provide the software to dealers, able to help the OEMs vet something that you wouldn't even think exists until you have this conversation. For people that say like, hey, direct to consumer, let the OEMs, let the car manufacturers sell vehicles directly. What's your, what's your take on that? Like, what is the risk? with that kind of model, right? Because even even right now, maybe OEMs are not selling vehicles directly, but they are, you're, you're obviously vetting the software for them. 
indirectly. So what, what does that world look like? What, you know, what is the risk associated with that type of model? You know, obviously the big buzzword is customer experience, which is such a broad you know, term, but something that, that we think has come out of this perception that Tesla created a better customer experience by, you know, selling directly. And when you pull that apart is, you know, what was it? Was it the product? Was the, the the experience? If Tesla had a dealer network, would they have been just as successful? And I think that it was the perceived experience, right? When you buy a Tesla today, you don't just click a button and it shows up at your house, right? There are phone calls, there's going to their retail outlet, there's paperwork that you have to sign. It's still such a very complicated transaction that happens. And I think that the vendor community has saw that as that's where we need to get to. And the only way to get there, and we're making a ton of strides in doing it, is manufacturer and dealer trust in creating that experience. And that trust includes sharing data, not just capturing data from the dealer and the manufacturer and use it, but pushing data from the manufacturer down to create this experience. And I think we'll see, we have some, you know, integrated programs that are launching that still give dealers choice in digital retailing and has a shared experience on a brand site. And so that penny perfect deal that you generate, right, goes down to the dealer and the dealer is still the one in control of the pricing, selling all their after sales and aftermarket products and financing and controlling that. So the partnership and having that trust together is going to be the, the competitive advantage that leads to that same experience for the customer as D2C has today. Would you think it's still D2C truly, or is it sort of like that perceived consumer experience? I think it's the perceived consumer experience that the franchise and OEM model can get to that rivals that direct consumer perceived experience. I think that one of the things that, you know, and, and we're going to see it, right, and we're seeing it right now is part of direct consumer ease with Tesla and Rivian is that there was way more demand than there was supply. And that is starting to show cracks, right? If you're Tesla- What, what kind of cracks? What do well, you say that? Yeah, what well, kind of cracks? When, when you don't have a franchise dealer network, right? Franchise dealers and the entrepreneurs know their market better than anybody. And they know how to price a vehicle, how to price a trade-in, and how to you know incentivize the customer to, to go through in that transaction. I think a challenge is if you're direct consumer and you've got one price, right? If you're not moving those vehicles, you have to drop that price across the board. You might not need to have dropped it in California, right? Oh, right? that is very interesting. But you maybe needed to drop it in Wisconsin because, you know, the battery range was not getting what it did in, you know, in the winter in California. So that is extremely interesting. And you're saying, and, you know, my, my just common sense tells me that you can't, as an OEM, you can't regionally kind of segregate pricing because that's probably goes against like FTC regulations and whatnot. But as a dealer, you could discount the car locally. Oh, totally. Right. I mean, again, dealers know that, okay, I need to move this car. It's been on my lot. They are entrepreneurs. They know their market better than everybody. They know that if they get that car out in the marketplace, they've got, you know, a good relationship with the customer, get them back in service. And, you know, they want to continue to get more units in operation in their market to, to feed fixed operations and feed the business. So nobody can do that better than 
the entrepreneur, which is that that franchise dealer that that's in their market. Have you seen any dealers like harness the power of organic social media very, very well from a business to you know to generate business? I think that probably one of the biggest untapped resources that a dealership has is taking a step back from just advertising and leveraging the personality of the owner operator of that store. There's so many phenomenal operators that are out there. And I think it's similar to you in what you did on X on having something that's relevant to say to your audience, a general manager at a store that you know knows their local market they might be better served right having you know getting active on x getting active on different social media channels to really talk about what they're doing in their community and you know how they make a difference and you know leveraging testimonials and whatnot from people right but that's a big leap for a lot of people right a lot of people don't like to put themselves out there they stand behind the dealership it's quite honestly it's what we did at shift we stood behind you know, the brands that we were servicing and never really got out and, and had our own voice out in the marketplace. So I think that there are some very vocal, progressive dealers that have a lot of great things in their community to talk about that if they took that leap, they would see you know phenomenal results in, in how their brand is perceived locally. I had Rick Reichardt on the podcast uh, a month or two ago. He does a pretty nice job on YouTube. I was pretty impressed. Just, you know, creative stuff. But I, I do agree with you, like organic, it's so powerful. Like I see it every day. People DM me, they're like, hey, I want to buy a car from you. I'm like, nope, can't help you. <laughs> like this is, you know, this is a very focused here. And I think part of the ethos of car dealership guy that I've sort of, sort of developed is I want to actually benefit everyone, not like one specific, you know, dealership or dealer group. Hence why I do these things that kind of help just lift all the dealers, not you know, just myself or anything like that. But it is it is very powerful when you when you provide entertainment or like educational content or both, or you do you know combine the two and provide entertainment and educational content in one. It's pretty it's pretty crazy how well it works. I'll tell you a funny story. I tweeted about Buicks. You may have seen this like it was in the beginning of the year. I think it was January, February. I, I, there was a stat that Buicks are you know crazy day supply. So just me putting like my personality on it, I, I, I and we'll pull it up on the screen here. Uh, Johnny, the producer, can show it up on the screen as I'm saying this. But I was like, Buicks are you know XX day supply. They're rotting on car lots like trash. You can score a deal on one if you're not embarrassed to be seen driving in a Buick. And it was like, it was meant to be like a joke, but the thing went viral. I think it did like three million impressions, and I had people people sending me messages like, I'm going to buy a Buick, I'm going to buy a Buick. And it was just a combination of delivering a real insight, which is that there was an oversupply of Buicks relative to demand, and adding the entertainment factor, which was, you know, it was it was pretty like provocative, kind of some, somewhat sarcastic, but it worked very, very well. So I just can't recommend it enough, to your point, just kind of putting yourself out there, whatever platform also feels most natural to you. To me, X felt most natural because I I like writing and kind of piecing my thoughts together and whatnot. I'm less of a you know video person, and, but I do see lots of salespeople and stuff and other dealers that are more active on TikTok and you know, these other platforms. And so I think I think you know to your point, it's very it's a, just still a great opportunity if you can put yourself out there, not be you know embarrassed, scared. And see see kind of what works with the, yeah, the audience. I think, I think you know one of the benefits I have in this community that I'm in is when I want to buy a car, I know 
so many dealer owners, right, that I can shoot a text to or, you know, Penske, their headquarters. They, be, they better right? give you a good deal or the price well, goes up. The reality is I don't know if I'm <laughs> getting a good deal or not, but just having that direct link where they're like, hey, here's my trade-in. And they're like, okay, here's the value for it. Now, I'll be honest, like I did send the car to like two different really close friends of mine and the value difference was about a $10,000 difference on the trade-in, right? But for me, it's if you could expand that experience to your entire customer base. Now, not that a dealer principal is going to respond to every customer, but if I'm a dealership and I'm out there and it does build that trust, boy, that's such an advantage. And quite honestly, people probably pay a little bit more money if they have that trust relationship. And so many dealers do such a great job in doing it. I think social and putting them out themselves out there pers- personally is probably a good good medium for them to to explore what does the world look like if shift digital didn't exist yeah you know i think that there's a power struggle between vendors that get really 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 big and new innovative companies that can't break in to that world right if you think about it right you, you talk about cars.com and you know, you know Cox Automotive. They can get an audience with any manufacturer for the most part, right? And talk about vision and, and how they benefit dealers and the manufacturer. But Full Path or Orbi or you know these startups that are truly, truly innovating, you know how hard it is for them to get audience at a manufacturer? I think that what we've been able to do is create a voice for innovation that not only helps that entrepreneur that if they had to think about starting a company and didn't go into a network like shift where we've got distribution built in if they have a good product i've got to hire salespeople. i've got to hire dealer support people i've got to invest all of this in a market today which money's really 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 hard to come by hard to get and expensive I think we provide that value for innovation. And I also think bringing those options into the, the, the app stores, the, the certified programs that we create, push the big ones to do better. So I think if we work- Distribution, if, yeah, distribution. Yeah, I think it's all if, we, about if, distribution. We, if we did not exist, I think that the dealer ultimately would not have as much innovation that, that you know they see invest in and get a lot of benefit out. And prices rise. And prices rise, right. I, I'm curious, when, when you think about the change in technology at dealerships, AI, I, I'm going to have to assume you're in the forefront of this in some extent. I mean, are you seeing anything actually work that's changing the dealership experience? Anything on the AI front? Yeah, I mean, look, everybody's going to say they use, you know, machine learning and AI and, you know, all the buzzwords that are out there. I think for us at the enterprise level, it's very... It was, it was like 2023 hit. It was 2023 started and it's like everyone's website updated. <laughs> <AI>. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We're all AI. And look, AI is built into a lot of developer tools that, that a lot of companies use. So it's easy to say that you use it. It's what are you using it for? From our standpoint... We're looking at billions of interactions and engagements on brand and dealer websites every month, right? How do you take all that data and make sense out of it into customer journey, attribution, spending X amount of dollars over here? What am I 
you know, bringing to my dealer website, how are they performing? Uh, you have to use AI to be able to make sense out of that massive amount of data. I do think what's going to be interesting to follow is on the consumer engagement side of AI. You know, there's a lot of companies out there like you know, Stella AI that are training AI models to interact with the customer, right? One of the biggest challenges at a dealership is labor, is staffing, is that fixed stop service department, right? You know, if you've ever called a dealership to, you know, take it in for service, it can be a very mixed experience that you have. So I'm really curious to see how that continues to evolve, right? Do I mind if I call a dealership and I get some voice activated AI that sounds like a human that kind of walks me through a list? If it is easier, if I'm not getting transferred three times or the call being dropped, which happens all the time, then I think it can be a, a, a very uh, efficient tool for dealers to use. Then we'll see how that translates over onto the sales side. What, what, and we've had a lot of companies that come in that have built out you know, AI chatbots and engagement. I still think it has a ways to go because one of the biggest challenges with AI, uh, chat GPT and whatnot is the context of your business. And I'll give one quick example, right? If, if I'm a chatbot and I'm integrated into a dealer website, I really hope that if the customer asks, is this the best dealership for me? Or, you know, it, that it doesn't come back with a response. And I've seen this that says, well, here are the ratings of other dealerships in your area that are rated higher than this dealership, right? Or, you know, somebody goes to a Chevy chatbot and says, you know, is this the right truck for me? You know, is it the best in, in what I'm looking to do? Well, you know, the Ford F-150 has higher towing capacity or this, like, you've got to contextualize it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting, though, because like one could make the argument that it's almost like too honest. But and, and what I mean by that is, you know, you're trying to obviously sell your product. And then, you know, you're sort of selling a competitor's product on the way. Yeah, yeah. You, so. just, you have to be cognizant of that, right? Knowing that, look, if you go to chat GPT and you ask it a question, it's going to be very unbiased, I think, in what it gives you as a response. But that might not be what you're trying to do in highlighting all the benefits about your dealership and your product. But, but I mean, the evolution of it is happening every second of every day. So I do think that it's going to be a big part of, of dealers and it's going to be productized for dealers in a way that, that works for their businesses. How do you think just uh, the general dealership technological landscape evolves here, right? Over the next five years, I mean, like getting down to the very tactical level, what do you think for dealers and consumers alike, how does this entire car buying experience change? Look, I think dealers have access to a tremendous amount of data, right? And this whole notion of creating a customer data platform, CDP, first party data, I think has a lot of legs, right? Um, the challenges in doing so are how do I get the data out of my DMS, my CRM, all my marketing tools, my website, et cetera, to be normalized and be useful, right? Once that happens, and it is happening today, and it's something that we're focusing a lot of time, effort, and energy on, is the integrations. You use that centralized data that is the dealer's lifeblood to make your email marketing better, right? To understand that if I send out customers here, 
These are the people that engage to make my advertising better, to make my service engagements better, right? But that is the hub for dealers and OEMs to really empower the technology landscape and, and all the providers that are out there. That's when I say open source, it is built around the brand and the dealer's data to empower and make better the technology tools to plug in. And I still think we have a long way to go in getting all the players to work together and having bi-directional APIs to, to, you know, get to that vision. But I don't think we're far off. What do you think is the future for your company, for Shift Digital? I mean, how do you see you guys evolving? Yeah, I mean, I think that, look, we're, we're always under pressure to constantly innovate, right? If I look at Shift 1.0, it was how do we take all these disparate areas of data that live in so many different areas and make it make sense and be actionable for users that want to understand something about their business in real time. Shift 2.0 is now I've got access to all this data. How do I make that, ac that data actionable for the dealer to support them in a way that helps them grow their business, right? And so, you know, there's a lot of nuances around that. We're always in the business that a dealer's data is their data and we can only use that data to make sure that we're helping them in their market, right? And so we do that currently right now through a lot of uh, best practice reports and here's what's working, what's not. I, I think that that's going to be the future of Shift is enabling the dealers to handle all these integrations to make their engagements with customers yeah, the best in the business. Mm -hmm. And to be able to actually leverage all this data that we're all collecting. And it's, it's a tough task to actually put it to work. It is. It is. And, you know, dealers get, they start to look at their part statements and, you know, their vendor bills and, you know, they can get like uh, software to death, right? So where do you start to break out where maybe I don't need to spend money or I don't need this tool that I've been paying for for three years and really not utilizing. You see that all the time, right? How do you take that whole invoice you get and say, data is going to make me less reliant on these four things. So I don't need to spend the money there. Well, you built a fascinating company, my friend. So super impressive. Appreciate you coming on. And if, if anyone wants to learn more about your Shift Digital, where can they go to learn more about you? Yeah, you know, obviously, uh, shiftdigital.com. We make ourselves very available to dealers, OEM, clients, etc. We're expanding in, into different verticals, have done so into power sports and mortgage and, and other areas as well. But we try to be always accessible. We love to talk to dealers. So, Oh, that's interesting. You're expanding to actually other industries? We are, yeah. So we've been in the power sports business. Anytime there is a you know large brand that has franchise dealers or or you know locations that are out there, uh, we do work in hospitality. Power sports was an easy entree, right? Harley Davidson is a great client of ours. Polaris is, and then we're we're looking at other verticals as well, like mortgages, right? Where you've got tens of thousands of brokers and you know some of these really big wholesale providers like. UWM and Rocket Mortgage. How do you how do you turn ten thousand brokers into digital experts, right, in their own local market? So, yeah, lots of fun things on the horizon. But our our core focus is automotive, and that's where we continue to to innovate and see where it takes us. 
Well, I appreciate you for following and supporting supporting CDG. So I love to hear that. <laughs> and I'm excited to see what you build, uh, Phil. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah. Really looking forward to continuing to see what you put out there and wish you all the best in the world and and you're doing a great thing. And And to your point, hopefully others take you as a role model and say, I don't need to do this nationwide, but maybe I can do it in my local market and, and make a difference. So be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Great. Uh, this, this is, uh, it's, it's, it's been a crazy foray, man. Just to put doing this stuff. It's, there's a lot of upside to it. There's a lot of downside, just like everything, but net net, it's great. I definitely love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for having me and, uh, look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Appreciate it. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating, consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.